That was more than a year ago. Can't find the 2019 recap videos because we're not done with this year yet, though we're close, aren't we? You remember a lot of those stories. You watch news clippings like that and you remember what side of things you came down on. The way things were reported, the way that justice was carried out or ignored or any of those things. Some of the human dramas that we saw playing out there just involving survival and other things, the sports victories, all that stuff. And that was one year encapsulated. I don't know about you, but I've seen 46 of those come and go. And I still look back on those kinds of things and go, how do we survive this? How do we solve these things? How do we, how do we find peace? How do we find rest in the turmoil? It's such chaos, isn't it? To see it all mashed together like that. All the changes that go on geopolitically and financially and the stuff that we go through year after year, it seems, well, forest fires over here, floods over here, hurricanes coming now and all these kinds of things. And we go, did Isaiah get it wrong when he prophesied in in chapter nine, verses six and seven, he said the prince of peace would come and that didn't look peaceful to me, did it to you? And we know that 2020 is going to have its own highlight reel that's going to help us relive the stress of getting through that. How many of you feel a little anxious watching all those clips again, (laughs) hearings and all that kind of stuff? We still have fires. We still have floods. We have impeachments. We have shootings in schools. We have Aunt Becky from Full House going to jail. What's up with that? The world is not right when Aunt Becky's going to jail. Maybe you didn't know that. We're a full-service church here at Faith, keeping you up to speed on all of your news headlines. More seriously, though, you still feel the loss of loved ones. You fear some of your financial pictures. You have fights with your kids or your spouses or your parents or your teachers, your in-laws. You have health concerns. We walk day-to-day in what feels like very unpeaceful situations. Yet Isaiah said the prince of peace would come. He said in verse 6 of chapter 9, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, which means he's got the best ideas, he has the best plan. The Mighty God, which means he has the strength to execute the plan. He's the eternal father, or we could say he is father forever, which means he does not quit. He does not fail, does not walk out on us. And then he says he's the prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will accomplish this. Yet the landscape that we view lends to an interpretation that sounds a little bit more culturally savvy or maybe a little bit more realistic, if I dare say that. We might interpret those passages to read like this, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders as long as we vote the right people in and his name will be called a pretty good counselor. He's got some good ideas. A celebrity, we can't argue with Jesus' celebrity status. Maybe he's a generous parent. But also, as we've hinted in the last couple of weeks, he's been relegated to the prince of passivity. That is our definition of peace. 
We could go on to say there will be a moderately successful run to his government. And peace will exist if the people come together and hold hands. It will be established and upheld through tolerance and diplomacy. The popularity of the God of your choosing, whether man or not, will accomplish this. There is a cry for peace all across our planet. I can imagine as we, as we picture, you know, the, the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. As I picture God the Father looking at the giant blueberry that is the planet Earth and just seeing all the movements, the machinations of, of humanity just getting deeper and deeper into trouble, not being able to fix their own issues and just wanting to rescue it, provide, having provided a way to rescue it. As the, as the planet continues to call out and cry out for peace, and he says, I have delivered its source right to your doorstep, and yet he remains largely ignored. Jesus said to his followers in John fourteen twenty seven, a very simple message. I think it's important for us to have a simple message this morning, partly because that's what my intellect can handle. Secondly, because in the midst of chaos, we need simplicity. So often in the midst of sports games and all the chaos and the crowds going nuts, you listen in if they ever wire the coach and what he's telling the players, you go, come on, it doesn't cost millions of dollars to tell these athletes worth millions of dollars to know, stay in the game, dig tough, hang on, come on. But in the midst of chaos, we need the simple message to recenter us. So what does Jesus say to his followers? John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you the peace that is promised by Jesus is one of his definition, not ours. We said this was the the curse, if you will, of the recipients of the prophecy of Isaiah is that he was going to deliver this most hopeful message, this brilliant light into darkness. And they were going to their wheels were going to start spinning, going, oh, I know just how I want him to show up. I know just how I imagined the government being on his shoulders. And finally, we're going to get this. And finally, we're going to see that. And finally, we're going to feel this. And he shows up in a humble manger, seemingly unable to accomplish any of the things that were promised. But see, God initiated a peace process. And what helps for the whole world when we're thinking about peace process, a peace process is something that's simple, effective, and direct. This is what the Prince of Peace came to establish. As the Prince of Peace, he is the author, he is the originator, he is the champion of peace. He defines it, he fights for it, and he accomplishes it. And so the Prince of Peace leaves this subtle message, I will leave the peace of my definition with you. His peace process is systematic, it's simple, but it's the only thing effective. Have you experienced, have you witnessed governments ever figuring out peace? And what are we seeing in the, in the Middle East? What has every president we've had been able to promise? I'm going to bring this, this, and this, and this to the Middle East. Does it happen? We can argue that strides have been made and all those kinds of things, but it seems an insolvable problem. Here's God's peace process. To seek the primacy of peace, to find the one who is the author, the definition of peace, and uphold his definition above all others. Define peace. Find it in the person who is Jesus Christ. Simple, right? But so often missed. 
Jesus is invited to the table during negotiations. His books are read, perhaps, or his, his, uh, his preachers or his thinkers are consulted. What do we need to do about this problem? I want to see what Jesus has to say. Can he weigh in on this? We invite him to the process. But being the very definition of peace, being the very prince of peace, he is largely ignored. We've said over the last several weeks that if we start the Christmas story in the manger, we're halfway through the story. Isaiah says later on in his prophecy in chapter 59, he says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. So why doesn't he hear us? Why isn't he responding to us? He says, but your iniquities... Your sins have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And so we said the reason for the season, yes, is Jesus. But why in a manger? Why was he born in the flesh? Because of what we did in the garden. Because of the fracture that we instilled in in the holiness of God, in our relationship with him, because we not only chose to disregard his commands and his call in our life, we said, I actually want your throne. So as soon as you're done with it, would you please step aside? I want to be there. I want to be the God of my life. I want to be the one calling my own shots and doing my own thing. This is essentially what Adam and Eve carried out. It's what they, it's what they started that we got to have inherited to us through every generation. And so a great fat fracture took place between our relationship, our now our sinful humanity with a holy God. So the reason why Jesus had to be born in the flesh was to be a sacrifice in the flesh, a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Jesus told his listeners in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, a peaceful passive Jesus would say, Just try harder. Do what you can. My dad's got a ton of grace and he's just looking for you to do what you can and he'll make up. He says, no, no, let's start this whole kingdom introduction in the Sermon on the Mount at the highest level possible. You've got to be perfect just as your father is perfect so that all of the listeners then and us included would now go, well, I'm out. I I can't even get through the last hour in perfection. How am I supposed to offer him perfection for all of my life? I check out. I'm done. Paul emphasizes this even more in Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The the primacy of peace, the, the prince of peace, the author, the originator says, peace starts between you and me. You have offended my law. You've broken my commands. You have gone your own way. And now as a result of that, all sin has infected all of humanity. And now you fall short of my glory. You cannot continue to move forward pretending to live at peace and harmony or expecting to find that and ignore me in the process. Step one of God's peace process is get right with God. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell right in that crib and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, how making peace by the blood of the violent, cruel, bloody cross. 
So the, the baby born in the manger, who was the prince of peace, who is the primacy of peace, he's the author and the originator. He said, the very first step in the peace process is for me to show up, to be born in flesh, to live a sinless life, to be offered as a sacrifice to my father. The scripture uses a phrase for the propitiation of our sins, which means like the appeasing of the wrath of God so that, that his wrath, his hand, his smackdown would just be held back and said, okay, my son just took care of it. I don't have to come crashing in. The first step in peace was for him to intervene, for him to intercede and to hold back the wrath of his father on us and take it on himself, the blood of the cross. The second step in the peace process is where it starts getting very practical for you and me. You know, we've, we've said a lot as believers in Christ, as students of the word, as longtime church attendees that, that Jesus came to bring peace, that, that God is my, my, my source and my, my guide and he's my hope and my light. And yet so often the relationships that we live in, the, 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 the relationships that we have with other people on this earth do not reflect the same peace that we claim to have been shown or awarded by the grace of God. The psalmist said in 133 verse 1, he says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is. That sounds a little hallmarky. How nice it would be. But it's a little bit more than that. This is an intent. This is, this is an expectation. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Our, the, our lack of peace isn't just over a global landscape. It's not just that we look at the news headlines and say, when is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, going to show up? But it's what you and I experience every single day when we're relating to other people. I just can't seem to make this connect. I, I can't seem to get on the same wavelength as this other person, or we can't seem to get over our hurts. We can't seem to to forgive each other for the things that that uh, have happened to us. So many of us are going to be walking into family and friend situations over the holidays where we're going to know there's just something missing. That the friendship that we want to have, the communion or the, or the fellowship that we would say here that we want to have isn't available because something's missing. Unity is the goal. It's, it's harmony. It's walking in one accord. It's understanding one another. It's expressing peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And yet so often it seems to elude us. Paul was writing to the Ephesians and he, he wanted to get the attention of the Gentiles who were new to the message of hope. And so he wanted to help them understand where unity is going to come from and that the peace process so far, step one and two, was going to be realized by them. He says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, so others were calling you the uncircumcised, which is made in the flesh by hands, Verse 12, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You are not receiving this message. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So as we were the first recipients of God's message and forgiveness, and, and as you, the Gentiles, were now latecomers to that message in Christ, we both have unity together and move together as we grow in Christ. There's a lot more going on in this text that we wouldn't have time to explain, but the principle still applies. We talk about it in marriage counseling. We talk about it in, in, uh, in, in building friendships and things that the closer that each of us as individuals draw to Christ, we get closer to others who are like-minded or in similar pursuit. So the peace plan of God, as we make peace with him first, as we surrender to the Prince of Peace, he starts to practically make us more peaceful with other people, simply put. Well, that was a lot of peas in that sentence. I need a drink. Now, to take just a slight detour as we talk about these relationships that we have, how to exercise true peace. We have to understand that peace does not equal passivity. Jesus is now considered the poster child of passivity. Why? Because he's the one that turns the other cheek. He's the one that takes a cloak off his back. He's the one that laid his life down because people just took it from him cruelly. That's the image that we have of Jesus in the world today. And he's heralded, he's lauded as one who is patient with people and gracious enough to be taken advantage of. They don't, they don't see the point that he did all of this by design and by obedience to his father. They don't see that what the Prince of Peace also is, is the mighty God, the conquering king and warrior who came to do battle with our sin, who came to do battle with the, the impact and the power of death on our life to, to win victoriously on that. They don't see that this was all part of the mission, that he was born in the manger in order to end up on the cross as we just prayed in our time of worship. Peace does not equal passivity. You've heard it said before that peace isn't the absence of conflict. That as you and I learn to grow in peace, as we learn to share peace and we start to walk in it, it doesn't mean everyone's going to get it. It doesn't mean they'll all respond in kind and be like, oh, peace be with you. That works great in like white Christmas and other great, you know, Christmas classics and stuff. And maybe you're going to experience some of that if you still have some last minute shopping to do or what I would like to call right on time. Um <laughs> you're still going to walk through and have sort of that Hallmark movie experience perhaps this time of year because it feels right to do it. It's culturally acceptable. All of those things. But why doesn't it last? Is peace the absence of conflict where we just feel as though we're connecting with one another? What if I strive to live for peace and the other person or the recipient doesn't get it? They don't respond in kind. Jesus addresses this. In Matthew 10... He all but undoes our perception of what Isaiah was trying to say in verse 34. Do not think that I've come 
to bring peace to the earth. Uh, well, how could we not think that? Prophets said it 700 years ago. What else are we supposed to think? He says, no, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I'd say that's kind of working. The in-law situation is always a little touchy. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is also not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life or whoever, whoever pursues his own definition of life or his own interests and wants, whoever finds his life, it'll slip through his hands, right through his greasy fingers. You won't be able to hang on to it. You'll lose it. And whoever loses his life, whoever sacrifices all those hopes, dreams, and ambitions for what does Jesus want from me, will find it. There is a reality that as you and I learn to walk in peace, we shine a bright light that is coming into darkness. And oftentimes the reaction is, would you please turn the bulb down? I can't take it. You're blinding me. I don't want to face what you're, what you're uh, revealing. I don't want you to even know that it's there. And so often people are running from the light that as you and I are walking in Christ to be a testimony, to show grace and peace and love, it's just offensive. Keep it out of my life. Nobody asked for this. The light alienates you from others around you. This is what Jesus said. If they, if they hate you for my sake, it's because of me. It's not because of you. But I have a caution. Because we are talking about peace in its practice and being practical in our lives. Please understand that it has been my experience, perhaps as well as many of others in this room, that so often we get kind of, um, we get uh, established in our faith, we get established in our knowledge of God's word, and we see that kind of encouragement as a license to go off and be, as the Greek would say, a jerk. That we have the license because we're, well, I'm just out shining a bright light. I can't help it if everyone hates me. Maybe it's our tone. Maybe it's our timing. Maybe it's our lack of compassion. Maybe it's a lack of awareness of how much grace we've been shown as well. That we might be willing to extend it to others. This is how Peter puts it in chapter 4, 1 Peter. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. If you're doing things that Jesus wants you to do and they hate you, you'll be blessed. He says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Okay, that's probably doesn't need to be said. If you're suffering as a murderer, you didn't do that for Jesus is what Peter's saying. Or as a thief, I think we're like, okay, check, got it. Or an evildoer kind of covers the bases or as a meddler. And it's like, you're telling me that if I'm suffering as a meddler or as a murderer, I'm equally as guilty for how I'm conducting myself. This is what Peter is saying. Yet if anyone, verse 16, suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. There's nothing you can do about that. In fact, it's better that you do because that's how you receive the blessing. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 
as I caution you, because again, one stop church here, we're trying to be all things to all people. As you're going into your family environments, your Christmas parties, your gatherings and all those kinds of things, understand that the light of Jesus Christ that you're allowing to shine through you will be its own offense. That you don't have to double down on it based on personality or preferences and all those kinds of things. That, that they are to be offended by the light of Christ, not the opinions and all of the character that we bring to the whole thing. Paul even told uh, the church in Rome in chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. As far as it depends on you. We aren't just rolling over and dying at all because I can't have an opinion. I can't judge a situation. I can't stand up for what's right. That's not what's being asked of us. But it is being commanded of us that as far as it depends on us, be at peace with those around you. This is who the person of Jesus is, the person of peace. And this is the advantage that we have in Christ. We're not just laying out a bunch of principles and guidelines for someone to imitate. Jesus did this, so you might want to think about doing this too. And I think it's probably going to be beneficial for you. We don't have to sell Jesus in those external measures because he is a personal God who takes up residence in the hearts of his children. So the minute you and I start doubting, I don't know how to do this peace thing. I don't know how to relate to others around me. That's our cue to take a step back. Lord, there's something I need to submit to you, something I need to surrender so that the person of peace who lives within you can come forward and shine and exercise his will through you. This is the advantage we have as believers in Christ. No other world religion says that if you accept that the, the, the presence of, of their God, he will or it will or whatever, just live through you and control your members and, 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 and uh, reduce the power and the effect of your own flesh. This is the difference in the incarnate Christ is that he comes in to our life to live through us. And this is the third step in the peace process. That after we've, after we've gotten our lives right with the Prince of Peace, after we've allowed him to inform our relationships and that we characterize our life by his walk of peace, that he becomes the presence of peace in our life. And I don't mean presence as in gift wrap. I mean presence, E-N-C-E. The world is looking for wholeness. They're looking for contentment. They want tranquility, order, rest, security. The list goes on and on and on. They will establish gurus, spend lots of money, write lots of books, have hours and hours and hours of therapy, all of these things to find what they believe is going to be the center of themselves so that they can accept the center of themselves and finally be at peace. So I thought what we would do this morning is try that. We're going to get in the aisles and we're going to sit Indian style and we're going to do some of this. And we're going to take about 15 minutes to lights down, light a few candles and stuff like that. Cause, cause our goal would be to find out what's really at the heart of us, to find the center of what's going on. I don't know about you guys, but I don't feel like mine's too far below the surface. I feel like what Brent cares about, what rules Brent's life is, is more than on the surface that it's out there for all to see. That those closest to me can probably peg me a mile away and say, yep, that's what he cares about. That's what in his heart and his mind. The, the creamy nougat center of me, because we're talking, you know, holiday snacks and stuff, is, 
is, is really quite obvious. How much time and introspection would I need to find what's in the heart of me? Because again, I don't know if you can relate, but whenever I find what's at the heart of me, it usually disappoints. It sets me in a course of destruction and it, and it blows up all my efforts for peace for those around me. And yet out there, we say in the world, the system, this philosophy that's apart from Christ, they say, well, this is where to start. If you figure out you and then learn to accept you, then everything else starts falling in line and it works out. Hasn't been my experience. That's been the warning of scripture not to take that bait. This is the intimacy. This is the presence that the Prince of Peace promises. John 14. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. Because I live, you'll also live. And in that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you hear the intimacy that is being promised by the by the the originator of peace, the author of peace, he says, it is in relationship with me, with God. He continues, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. That's another aspect of our clamoring for peace. I just want guidance. I want to know I'm on the right path. I want to know what I'm doing counts for something. And he says, the Holy Spirit provides that for my children. Then he says in context, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. This isn't by their definition. They don't seek me as their guru. But my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace process is very simple here. Surrender to God. Receive the forgiveness that he has promised to all who would humble their hearts and, and, and fall before him and confess their sins. Make your peace with God, not just in some fantasy that you'll be able to do it on your deathbed, but live in peace with God as the prince of peace. He will then give you a life of blessing with those around you, even if there's friction, even if they don't get it, even if they fight back with you. What Jesus, your your father forever is promising is I will give you a peace that is so internal you won't be able to explain. You'll be able to put your head down on your pillow at night knowing that you're walking in peace. You see, this is a byproduct of you and I living righteously. It's this humanly unproducible characteristic that God has promised to provide. Isaiah says it like this in chapter 26, verse 3. You keep him in peace, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then we know this statement because it's been cross-stitched on a billion pillows throughout American Christianity is Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a peace that walks intimately with us. 
So this is the failed peace process that our world's been trying to sort their way through. I start with me. I define what I like, what I want. I find the center of who I am. And then I construct a world around me of people who will not be negative and who will not be influencing me apart from that. You can't move me off my foundation because I'm finally good with me. So I'm going to block out all the negativity. Think of all the social media memes and all the, you know, you go kind of statements and stuff. I'm going to block that all out of my life. And then the better I get at achieving that and walking in that, I will experience a godlike state, which many have called a nirvana. And we go, no, come on, we're not ta- walking around talking like gurus all the time. Think about this. This is the kind of thinking that is creeping into the church, that is creeping into our counseling methods. It's creeping into who you and I go to for answers about how to find peace in our life. This isn't alarmist. This is real. Starts with you. Pick the people around you and find happiness and wholeness within yourself. It is the exact opposite of God's peace plan. You start with him, you surrender to him. He forgives you and makes you whole. You start to relate to other people through his mission of what he wants to accomplish in their life, not what they can give you, not the world that they can build all billowy and puffy around you to feel secure and safe, but Lord, you have died to save them. How do I continue to express that mission in their life? And then by spending myself doing that, at the end of the day, I lay my head on my pillow and I say, thank you, Lord, for giving me a day that was sold out to your causes, not all wrapped up in my insecurities and in my frustrations of that that endless pursuit of a peace that doesn't exist. Jesus' peace, unlike the world's, is ultimate because once you're forgiven by God, there's nothing else you need to achieve. It's practical because it shows up in how we relate to the most important human relationships in our life. And it's personal because it lays down on the pillow with us at night. This is what makes him the prince of peace. He does this thing really well, thorough, forever, unfailing, unlike anything else we know in this world. It is not the kind of peace that produces the chaos we saw in that newsreel. Amen. Let's stand and close our time in prayer. Lord God, we surrender to you. Lord, I, I, I guess I pray that, hoping that's what we surrender to. But each of us individually, Lord, daily we need to surrender to the Prince of Peace, to seek your guidance, to trust, to walk in your spirit, to not try to sort all the issues of our life out by our own methods or fears that we would surrender to you. So I pray, Lord, that you would go in peace in these great people's hearts and in their lives As they are around their families, Lord, I pray that you would give them great influence for your light. I pray that you would give them great control on the things they don't know they should say or should do. I pray you'd give them wisdom as well, Lord. May we be uh, great representations of the Prince of Peace this week as we go throughout this great Christmas season. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for giving us such grace that we could even continue to represent you. And pray, Lord, we continue to walk by it in Jesus' name. Amen.